Well, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? There's a lot of new faces here today, so let me introduce myself. My name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor here at the Indian Creek Campus. Just want to welcome all of you, and thank you for uh, choosing to worship with us today. And uh, as we dive into God's Word this morning, uh, we have been uh, working through a series in the book of Daniel. Now, we have spent uh, about the last six weeks now uh, studying this book, going chapter by chapter, Daniel 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, so on. Uh, we've been looking at some of our favorite Bible stories uh, that we see in the Scripture, stories like Daniel in the lion's den. We've uh, talked about the, the fiery furnace and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not bowing down to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar uh, raised up. And, and we have looked at so many of these great stories and we have learned some valuable things. And over and over again, we have found that while there are certain characters, you know, Daniel being one of them, Nebuchadnezzar being one of them, all these different people that we meet, one of the central things that we found in the book of Daniel is that uh, this has been primarily God's story. He's writing this story uh, of what he is accomplishing, what his plans are, and how he's bringing these things uh, to fruition, how he's working through the lives of his people uh, to do so. And so we've seen wild dreams that Nebuchadnezzar has had of these, uh, this great statue that's built up and it's made of all these different uh, kinds of materials and it's brought low by this rock that's not cut out by human hands and all this crazy stuff uh, in the book of Daniel. And uh, we're finding ourselves here about halfway through the book. And if you're here with us this morning for your first time, I'm just going to uh, let you know we're going to be taking kind of a pause uh, in Daniel, but not really a pause in Daniel uh, this morning. So if anyone's familiar with sports, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we all were kind of inundated with what major event? The Super Bowl. And for as much as people like to talk about the different teams that are playing and, you know, who's going to win and who's going to do this or that, what's the one thing about midway through the Super Bowl that everybody talks about? The halftime show. And uh, we love halftime shows, uh, but for the millions and millions of us who aren't playing in the Super Bowl, uh, halftime meant we get to watch the this, this show and there's artists that perform and all these different things. Maybe for you, halftime of the Super Bowl was a chance to uh, turn the TV off and eat some food and hang out with friends. It's a break in the game. But for those who are involved in the game, halftime isn't a time where you're sitting back enjoying something or going and grabbing a bite to eat. Halftime's a time where you get the team together and you go back to the, the locker room and your coach comes and he addresses the team midway through to say, here's where we're at and here's where we're going. Now, when we talk about sporting things and uh, times when coaches will speak to uh, their players, we think a lot of times of those really famous, like, inspirational speeches. I, I can't help but think of, um, remember the Titans. Remember when they're, when they're locking down, if you're familiar with it, and you go, we will not let them gain another yard. Make sure they remember forever the night they play the Titans. You're like, yeah, let's go. Like, it, it pumps you up. Or, you know, the, the speech, like in Miracle, you know, we may play them ten times, they may beat us nine times out of those 10 but not tonight tonight's your night and you're like yeah we're gonna go do this and, and there's these times when the coach will come and address his team and it's it's appropriate to bring the inspirational speech the the hoorah let's rally the troops let's get let's get around something let's motivate and let's go do something uh, special and we love those times 
But more times than not, halftime is a time when the coach comes in the locker room, he looks at the team, and he pulls out the whiteboard, and he starts drawing a bunch of, of X's and O's and says, here's what our game plan is going to be. Here's how our opponent is operating. Here's what we are going to do in the second half of this game to win. So this morning, we are taking a halftime huddle in the book of Daniel. And our halftime huddle today is not going to be the hoorah, let's go get them, you know, this is our time uh, kind of message. And so uh, for those of you jumping in for the first time today, uh, welcome. You're going to be part of maybe what may be one of my most technical messages I've ever preached in my life. Uh, today we are going to be bringing out the whiteboard and we got to put some X's and O's on the board and say, here's where we're going we're heading into the second half of Daniel. And for those of you, and I know some of you have started looking at the second half of Daniel and you've been texting me and calling me and saying, I have no idea what to do with some of this stuff. Because, you know, Daniel 1 through 6, pretty straightforward. Great stories, wonderful things that, that in some ways there's something in our hearts that are like the, yeah, Stand for your faith, and we, we resonate with some of the stuff. And then you get to Daniel chapter 7, and Daniel has this vision of a lion with eagle's wings, and a leopard with wings of a bird, and a great bear with ribs in its mouth. And you're like, what just happened to Daniel? Like, I thought this was the fun, friendly, like, Sunday school class, and nobody talks about the second half of Daniel because it's challenging. It's challenging, and there's some, there's some interesting things, some very complicated passages that are standing in front of us in the days ahead. And so uh, we wanted to, as a church, uh, just take a minute to, to pause and say and, and address the fact, how are we going to be dealing with the second half? As so we move into the second half in Daniel's chapter 12, 7 through 12, what's our strategy going to be? What's our game plan as a church for how we are going to navigate, how we're going to, to deal with some of these very things. What we have learned, as I mentioned so far, is that God has been in the business throughout the, the, the years upon years that have taken place in Daniel, raising up kingdoms, uh, working in the lives and the hearts of some of the greatest of kings of the world. Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most powerful people uh, to have lived. And just as uh, so Proverbs 21 tells us, uh, that the king's heart is like streams of water in the hand of the Lord. We have seen that on display. We've seen God saying, this is what's going to happen, and then God making those things happen. And we are going to see some of those same themes brought about throughout the second half of the book of Daniel. We could look at this great book and call it, you know, Daniel living faithfully in Babylon or Daniel uh, faithful living in a faithless world and all these kinds of things. Are, they got a really great ring to them. You're like, yeah, that'll preach. That's, that's good stuff. Like, let's deal with that. But we've called this series Daniel, Kingdoms, Chaos, and the Sovereignty of God. Because we, as we've looked at this whole book, have said those themes the, the, the waging of war, in essence, between two kingdoms, the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God, and in some ways the chaos that we experience and trying to navigate some of those difficult decisions and those, uh, those, those priorities and, and where we're at in the midst of all of that and trusting in, in God's sovereignty and his plans and his purposes and, and seeing that he is the one bringing these things to fruition, uh, that is... Those are the themes that continue, not just for the first six chapters. Those are the themes that are going to continue for the second half as well. 
And so over the next few weeks as we dig into this, you're going to hear us talk over and over and over again about God's sovereignty. God, God is in control of things. He is bringing things about. Look what he said he's going to do. This, these kinds of prophecies and visions, they don't mean anything if God is not a God who can bring them to fruition. So we're going to hammer those themes over and over again as we dig into this stuff. And we're going to deal with some complicated passages. And I know that uh, for many of us, and your pastor included, there's times where, you know, I look at some of these visions and I, I kind of resonate with our friends from the Wizard of Oz. Uh, when they're walking down that path, and they're lions and tigers and bears, oh my, right? Because we're going to look at some of these, uh, these crazy visions and say, I I don't know what to do with some of this stuff. What are we gonna, we're going to say lions and leopards and bears, oh my, and goats and rams and what, oh my, like what is going on? And hopefully as we work through some of this stuff, we're going to find some, some understanding as we dig into it. But uh, as, we, as we tackle this, uh, this subject matter, just to kind of, in our technical terms, uh, paint the picture of where we're headed. We are going into a section of Scripture that we call apocalyptic literature. That's why we're dealing with visions. And I don't know about you, but when you think of apocalyptic, uh, what comes to mind is probably stuff like zombies and nuclear fallouts and the end of the world and all this kind of stuff, because that's what we have in our media today depicted as apocalyptic. But biblically speaking, this word apocalyptic comes from a Greek word apocalypsis, which just simply means revelation. So if you're familiar with your Bibles, the last book of our Bible is called Revelation. And uh, quite literally, it's the book of the apocalypse, right? Not just because it's the end, but it's here's God revealing what is to be. And so as we go through these uh, chapters ahead of us in Daniel, we're going to find that some of these prophecies and some of these visions that we're going to encounter, we believe we can look back in history and see fulfillment of those things. The book of Daniel uh, tells us where we should look for some of that stuff very explicitly. Not even the, hey, we got to jump through weird hoops and awkward interpretations to get there. It's like, no, some of these things are referring to real kingdoms like, like the, the Greeks and the Medes and the Persians, stuff that if you remember from your school days, we studied those things. You know, We studied about Alexander the Great and uh, his conquests and all of these different uh, things that took place. And so we're going to dig into some of that, but I recognize that as we begin a discussion and begin the second half on this, that we as a group are a diverse group of people. Uh, we are a diverse group of people, and in this case, what I'm referring to is the fact that we approach this subject matter differently. All of us may come from a different standpoint. So if you were in small group this week, uh, you were introduced to some of my friends. And for those of you who weren't in small group, I want to introduce you to some of my friends this morning. And uh, these are my friends and how they engage with the topic like end times, like apocalyptic literature, and how we relate to those things. So let me introduce you first to my friend, Clueless Chloe. Clueless Chloe has, uh, well, let's be honest, she has almost no idea what I'm talking about when we talk about end times. It's, it's one of those discussions that it comes up and it's like, I got nothing on the matter. I'm not familiar with it. She doesn't know what's going on. Maybe she's here, she's part of the conversation, but she doesn't really know why she's here. She's just hoping she might find some answers. That's Clueless Chloe. My next friend that I want to introduce to you is Who Cares Wilma? Wilma 
looks at some of these discussions, especially when it comes to end times, says, it seems kind of difficult and confusing to make sense of this stuff. Uh, Every time we talk about it, we say that there's all kinds of different interpretations. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. So who cares? Why even bother dealing with some of this stuff? That's who cares, Wilma. My next friend is Darla, disbelieving Darla. Darla She's all for talking about Jesus, and she just sees Jesus as kind of a historical figure. He's somebody who lived at some point in the past, but she doesn't really believe he's going to come back again, because let's put our reasoning hats on. Who else do you know who's ever done that? Exactly. So probably not going to come back. That's disbelieving Darla. This is great, but end time stuff, that doesn't really matter all that much. I have another friend that we're going to name Scared Scarlet. Scared Scarlet uh, looks at some of these discussions and, well, that's intimidating stuff. I mean, have you read the book of Revelation before? It doesn't exactly sound like fun. So we look at Jesus coming back and we want to talk about that stuff and then we start talking about things like tribulations and wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes. It's like, oh, dude, I'm not too thrilled about that. You know, my, my friend Scared Scarlet might say, you know, This is great, but I hope I'm not here when all this goes down. This is a little bit freaky for me. Then I have another friend. This friend's name is Newspaper Ned. When it comes to talking about end times, my guy Ned likes to surf the internet, and he looks for all of the latest headlines. And he uses these headlines to chart. Have you ever seen those like crime documentaries where they've got the whiteboard up front with, with string attaching one thing from the next and making that? That's newspaper net. He's got a whole room in his house dedicated to this stuff. And he can tell you exactly who the Antichrist is because uh, he's, well, he's done all the research. He knows what's going to happen. He was wrong last time and the time before that and the time before that. But he's got it now. He really knows. That's my buddy newspaper Ned. And if I'm honest with you, I know I present these kind of uh, theoretical friends. If you're honest with yourself, you may see some of my friends in you. I know if I'm honest, I see some of each of them in myself. I look at the conversation of end times and some of these doctrines. There's a lot of this stuff that goes over my head. A lot of things that don't make clear sense. And I kind of resonate with my friend Chloe. It's like, I, I, I don't really know everything. I don't have all the explanations and all the details. I get that. I kind of resonate with Wilma, too. Because Wilma's looking at this stuff and saying, well, if we don't know for certain, what we do know is that we have today. So who cares about tomorrow? Let's just deal with today. I get that. I kind of live in that place sometimes myself. Let's not get too carried away. Let's just be here and let's be now. I understand um, Darla even, you know, to an extent. I believe Jesus is coming back wholeheartedly. Sometimes, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh, I just don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime. We seem to just kind of keep talking about this over and over again. And, well, here we are, another generation. Now I have kids. They'll probably talk about the same things. Who knows? I get, you know, scared Scarlet because I look at some of these uh, passages in the Bible and it's like, I agree, it doesn't really sound like a whole lot of fun. There's a lot of difficult days that lie ahead is what what God says. And uh, I kind of, I can resonate with the thought that it'd be nice to not go through a whole lot of that stuff. Kind of with her. 
I like talking to Ned. Ned's just fun. You know, it's always a great time to speculate. I love to speculate on things and, you know, look and, you know, look at what the Bible says and look at the events that are going on around us and say, what's, what's going on? Is there more to this than meets the eye? And, and you start talking to some of those things and those are fun conversations. I, I resonate uh, with Ned for sure. But I have another friend that's just always a great inspiration to me. And this is Confident Carl. Confident Carl, he's all about this stuff, but he doesn't take it too far. Confident Carl knows, knows what the Bible says. He's, he's studied the book of Revelation. He's studied Daniel. He's, he's studied all these topics. He's dug into this stuff, and he sees the value in it, but he always reminds us that it's important to, to wrestle with some of this and to dig into it and to, you know, even when we don't know, help it, let it shape our perspectives on life, but don't take it too far. Keep it in a healthy balance. And Carl is just a great, a great example for me to follow and hopefully a great example for all of us. That when we look at these things, it's a reminder that we don't need to be scared. We don't just need to be intimidated. But as God has spoken to us in his word about some of these things that are yet to come, and there's, a, there's some great assurance in that. We can have confidence that God's in control. We have confidence that God has a plan. He's told us that he's, he's going to bring this thing to fruition. And so even though I may not know exactly how, exactly when, I at least know God. And God's the one who's called me to walk faithfully before him, to have the eternity written on my heart, to have that perspective, to number my days and know that my time here is limited, as Ephesians says, to make the most of the days that I have. That's a, that's a good perspective uh, to dig into this stuff with. Ned, or uh, I'm sorry, uh, Carl often talks to me about uh, what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul was writing to a church, to Christians, uh, who in their circumstance, they had lost some loved ones and they were mourning their loss and were wondering how that's all going to work out with Christ returning and are they, you know, are they not going to be part of that now? And, and Paul writes to them and he kind of gives us two sides of the equation, two, maybe two poles to hold in tension. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says this. He said, I want to write to you these things because I don't want you to be uninformed. In other words, there is a value to addressing some of these things. There's a value to diving into this stuff. There's a value to talking about it. There's a value to the fact that God has spoken to it in his word so that we wouldn't be uninformed. But later, you know, as he continues to speak to them, he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1, he says, but now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So on one side, Paul has said, I don't want you to be uninformed, but on the other side, he says, let's not take this too far. You don't need all the information, because you know that the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night. You do you know when a thief in the night's going to come? The argument's no. So don't be uninformed, but don't be over-informed. Maybe don't, don't take it too far. And those, those are helpful guideposts, if you will, to kind of help lead us in our approach to, to Daniel and to discussions surrounding uh, end times and the stuff like that. Be informed but don't take it too far. There's a healthy balance of the two. 
Don't brush it off and say, we're not going to deal with this at all. But don't, don't go down all the rabbit trails and say, I know the seasons and the days. Because the scriptures say nobody knows the day or the hour. So as we go into the second half of Daniel, I know I've, this is kind of a long introduction, so I apologize. We're not going to go that, fat, or that far and everything else. I want to kind of chart for you. Here's our game plan. First part of our game plan as we move into the second half of Daniel is we need to remember what's important. We need to remember what's important. All of us, each and every single one of you in this room, myself included, are theologians. Some of you may not classify yourself as a theologian. Some of you might pride yourself in being a theologian. We are all theologians. We do theology every single day. It impacts the way we make decisions. It impacts the priorities that we have in our life. It, it shapes our lives. Theology is a part of who we are. Theology being what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the world around us. That stuff is important, and it's part of you. You're a theologian. It impacts your day-to-day. -day. And when we approach the study of eschatology, which is just the study of end times, this is also an important doctrine to engage with. It's an important doctrine to wrestle with. But, but we have to recognize that not all doctrines, not all beliefs are created equal. And before you start taking your tomatoes out to throw them at me and say, what are you saying right now? Let me explain. We're going to break this down a couple of ways. When it comes to our faith, and when it comes to what the Bible addresses or things that we ought to believe, the Bible speaks to certain things differently. For instance, one way we could look at what how the Bible tells us to wrestle with things is that there are certain doctrines that we are to die for. Meaning these are things that we believe are fundamental to the Christian faith. If you don't believe this, you're not a Christian. Because you can't be a Christian and not believe this thing. For example, when we talk about, was Jesus God? If you would say, Jesus wasn't God, you're not genuinely a follower of Jesus Christ. That's a core belief to Christianity, an example of it. And there are certain doctrines like this that we hold close to the vest and we hold very tightly and we say we cannot bend on this. This is a clear and fast teaching of Scripture that is held as an absolute truth when it comes to our faith. It's a necessary thing. Now, when it comes to the discussion about end times... We would say that, broadly speaking, this discussion is one that is not something to die for. This is not one of those things like, that you have to hold to one specific position or you're not a Christian. However, within that discussion, we would say there's one thing that we would die for, and it's this. We believe that Jesus will return. He will come back. We don't know when. We may not know every detail of how, but he's coming back. And that we hold very closely. That we say, we're, we're going to hold on to this as something we're going to die for. When it comes to different doctrines, we would say not only are there some that we die for, but there's some, some beliefs that we would dump. There are some things that we just need to dump in the garbage because that's where they belong. They're no good to us. They're only going to bring trouble. They're going to lead you astray. They're going to lead you to very bad places. 
The Apostle uh, Paul speaks of these things like in Galatians when he says that if anyone speaks to you a different gospel, let them be accursed. He said that, that's very strong. If anyone teaches you something else, let them be accursed. Like that's a, like shunned, no good. Reject what they are teaching. We have spoken and taught to you the true gospel. Hold on to that. Anything else? Ignore it. Get rid of it. Purge it from among you. It's no good. When we come to things uh, like end times, a doctrine perhaps that we would dump is to say, hey, we can just figure all this out. We can pull our whiteboard out. We can get our red string and our magnets and our pins and we can start to chart all this stuff and we can predict that in October of 2025, the tribulation is going to start and Jesus is going to return and all the Like, okay, when we're going there, just dump it. And I'll tell you why in a little bit. But there are things that we dump. Those are the two ends of it. We die for it. We dump it. Then there's stuff in the middle where the Bible speaks to things and perhaps we even interpret it to, to speak very clearly about some of this. If we can discuss these things. We can debate these things. There's different doctrines that we can uh, come to and say, hey, let's, let's debate this or that. You know, within uh, Christianity, one uh, debate like this could be the debate between Calvinism and Arminianism, if you're familiar with that at all. We can sit at a table and we can debate this stuff with each other and say, it seems so clear to me that the Bible teaches Calvinism. On the other side of it, someone say, well, it seems so clear that it teaches the Arminian perspective. And you can go back and forth and we can debate this and we can give each other a hug on the way out and say, I love you, brother. Because it's not one of those issues that we would say, let's, let's divide. We can't call you a Christian because you hold to a different uh, position on this. We can debate those issues. When it comes to end times, we can debate things like the millennium. Uh, is there a millennium? Is there not a millennium? Uh, are we going to go through a tribulation? Are we not going to go through a tribulation? All the, we can sit and we can debate some of these issues. And we can get up from the table and we can walk out. And we can give each other a high five and a hug and say, let's go get it, guy. Because you're still my brother. You're still my sister in Christ. Even though you may have a totally different uh, position on it. Same thing with things that we can discuss. We can talk through some of these things. These are uh, maybe topics where it's like, I don't, we may not have with the greatest of clarity everything that we wish we could understand. The Bible speaks to something, but it doesn't go deep into it. And uh, I mentioned in the theology class this morning that, you know, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the Lord says the secret things belong to the Lord. He, he does not tell us every single detail and every single topic. We don't need that. But what he has given us is for our good and for righteousness and for us to use and to wrestle with and to understand. So where God isn't abundantly clear, we can discuss that. We can talk through some of those deals. We can, we can uh, wrestle with some of that stuff. And so uh, when it comes to th things like discussing, we might uh, again go back to maybe the millennium and say, hey, is, you know, is Christ going to come before or after? What do you think? Well, you know, I, we can talk about this thing. We can talk about that stuff. We can discuss it. But it's important that as we move into the second half of Daniel, that we stop and we remember these things that are important. Because we are going to come to passages where you may look at it, and you may look at it and say, I have no idea where to begin with this. You may look at some things and say, I don't, 
agree necessarily with everybody else on this position. We don't need to fight about this stuff. The conversations that are going to come in the future, if you're in a small group, if you're in the theology class, when you come here and you listen to me or somebody else preach on some of these things, there, there may be some finer points of this stuff. You're going to say, I, I don't know if I fully agree. This isn't a place where we're going to say, hey, well, get packing. If you're not with us, you're, you might as well get out of here. These conversations are going to be to sharpen us we should welcome different perspectives at our tables and say, hey, let's, let's wrestle through some of this stuff. What do you think about that? Well, then back it up with the Bible because that's our final authority. When we engage with these things, it's not that we just come to it and say, well, I was always just taught this. That's great. Why? I've always just thought, great. Why? Back it up. And that's a place where all of us, and I assure you all of us, because I'm going to speak for myself in this as well, our elders, we can all grow in that way. Because none of us have the corner on this. There's always room to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of God's Word. So first aspect of our game plan, remember what's important. Number two, respect different interpretations. We're going to respect different interpretations. I want to... Uh, I'm going to introduce you today to a number of different uh, stances or positions when it comes to understanding end times. And I, again, I'm, I apologize if this is way more technical than any of you ever bargained for, but we're going to do it because it shows us that there's, there's differences in taking and uh, how we understand some of these things. And so, uh, Zach, I think you've got a picture to throw on the screen. You, you may not be able to see all of this, and I'm not going to talk through each bit of it, but uh, use the picture, if nothing else, to understand that there are valid ways of interpreting some of these very complex passages that aren't always so clear-cut and dry. So let me introduce you to just a couple of these ways that uh, people understand and end times discussions. First one we will call is the preterist interpretation or the preterist position. And this position of end times interprets all of the things that we will study in Daniel, all the things in the book of Revelation, all the other references throughout Scripture as events that have already taken place in history. They're in the past, preterist, past. Uh, we, I'm not going to say we, okay? Those who hold to this position would look to the events surrounding the first century, especially in culminating with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in AD 70 as the final fulfillment of many of these things that we're going to be talking about. So on uh, the uh, chart up here, you can see there's some of these lines down here. You can't read it because I can hardly read it and I'm standing right next to it. It's blurry. Uh, this is the preterist interpretation, right? That some of those things have already happened. They're done and they're in the past. And uh, some, uh, you'll say, how could you come to an understanding like that? Because we've always talked about Revelation like it's coming. How could we say that it's all in the past? Well, uh, people will look to passages or statements of Jesus uh, like he makes in Mark 13 and Mark 24 and 25 where he says that this generation will not pass away until the fulfillment of my words. And then you'll say, well, which generation is Jesus talking about? It would make most sense if we just took it literally this generation, the people that he's speaking to. 
So we would believe then that if he's telling the truth, then all this stuff happened within the lifespan of that generation, which would, have, uh, would put us right around the year of AD 70, that this, this all happened in the past. That's one way of looking at these things. And there's, there's valid arguments for it. You can look at it, and it's not like you would say, this just doesn't make sense. How could you even believe that? Some of the people that maybe you've heard of that hold to this position before you think that, well, I've never heard it presented that way. Maybe you're familiar with people like R.C. Sproul or N.T. Wright or some of these other people. They would hold to the preterist position when it comes to eschatology. We wouldn't necessarily agree with that position as a church, but I would tell you hey, there's nothing wrong with going and reading a little R.C. Sproul. Great guy. A lot of things to be gleaned. Again, what's important, this isn't something to divide over. Second way you could look at this is what we call the historist view. The historist view of uh, looking at end times and, and stuff is to say that uh, the signs and uh, the events that Revelation speaks of have been taking place throughout the course of human history. We look at the Christ and his resurrection, um, and from that point on, all these things that the Bible's been talking about have been coming to fruition throughout history. And so we don't know with certainty uh, when each and every one of those signs, when each and every one of those events have been fulfilled. So we need to live on the ready. We need to be alert and awake and ready to go. People who held this uh, position would be those like Polycarp and Justin Martyr uh, and Tertullian, for those who are familiar with your church fathers. Um, and in the course of church history, uh, this kind of position uh, kind of uh, took the, I'm sorry, I misspoke a little bit right there, uh, would be people like John Wycliffe, John Knox, William Tyndale, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, and Matthew Henry. Those are probably a lot of names that you recognize that hold to the historist view. This has been the predominant view of church throughout church history. It's the most commonly held one for all the years. The last one would be what we call the futurist view. In the futurist view, there's nuances to all this stuff, which I'll just throw this out here right now. If you want to dig into more of this, this is like up your alley. We're going to be talking about all this in theology class. We're going to go much deeper into this stuff than we have time to hear and now. But the futurist view looks at uh, these events and signs and stuff as all things that are to come in the future. There may be some level of fulfillment of them, but we anticipate a future fulfillment at some point down the road. That there is stuff yet to be anticipated. And that's the one as I said a minute ago, would be Polycarp, Justin Martyr, and Tertullian. And throughout church history, this was a predominant view uh, up until the first couple hundred years. Then it kind of took a back seat. Nobody talked about it very much until about 150 years ago. Uh, there was a man named, um, with the last name of Darby, uh, you're familiar with Schofield. They came out with this interpretation called dispensationalism, and that has kind of reintroduced this futurist view, and again, probably more than you're bargaining for right now, but uh, has brought this back onto the surface. That's the, well, some of you may feel like the nitty-gritty, and I'm just going to say that is the 30,000-foot view in some ways of these things. I don't say this to you because I expect you to remember all of this right now. I say this all to you to communicate that there are a lot of different positions and there are God-loving individuals that hold to these different positions and we believe we'll see them in heaven one day. 
So when it comes down to this stuff, there is a value in, in taking a position. It's okay to take a position. But how are you going to hold on to that position? What are you going to do with it? How is it going to cause you to treat other individuals? How is it going to impact the way that you engage in these discussions when you meet with, in your small group and talk about it? Purpose isn't just to argue and debate. Our purpose is to sharpen and encourage. First Thessalonians, Paul says, encourage one another with these words. For our scared scarlets, you're like, there ain't no encouragement in this at all. That's all scary stuff. And Paul's saying, no, this should encourage you. The, this topic, this study should be of great encouragement. And so, as a church, what's the position that we take? We take the position... And I apologize for the big words for it, but the position that we hold as a church is called the historic premillennialist position. Historic meaning that it's, it's an old theory, not that it's like no good anymore. Historic is just that it's an old position. It's, it's been around and held by many of the church fathers. Premillennialism meaning that we believe in a literal 1,000 year reign of Christ that he will execute and bring to place here on earth. And there's more nuance to it than that, uh, but that's where we're at. We believe that we've been in the last days since Jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven. And so we believe as we look at passages like Mark 13 and uh, Matthew 24 and 25, when it speaks of these signs that are to take place, and as these signs happen, it should, it should heighten our anticipation of Christ's return. We believe that we're seeing the beginnings of those birth pains, that we have seen them for, for centuries. But as this, the, the last of the last days approach, we'll see those happen in greater frequency and greater intensity in the days ahead not to freak us out, but so that we would say, our Lord's coming. And we would be excited about that. Now the posture that we hold this position is very open-handed. Because we don't want to say that we're right on it. It's the position that makes sense to us as we look at everything. But many of you probably hold to a different position. That's okay. That's all right. My encouragement to you is to know why. Know why you hold to that position. Not just because things are the top, popular buzz and headlines. Not just because, well, that's always the way I've heard it. But know why. Examine the scriptures, study these things, and come to a position on your own. But then hold it open-handed. Our small group lesson started this week with a, a well-known pastor saying that I reserve the right to change my mind on this tomorrow, or the next day, or the next week, or the next year. Because none of this stuff is so cut and dry that we could look to each other and say, how could you not believe this or that? We hold this very open-handed. Now, we do so from a charitable position and also from a pastoral position as a church. Because we recognize that if, if all we do is teach and equip and train you as God's people and always just say, God's going to take you out of this place before the tribulation ever happens. We may set you up for failure. We may not. But let's say you hold to a position that, that Christians will be raptured out of this place and God's going to call us up to the sky before the tribulation begins. And let's say you're right and we're wrong. 
cool. <laughs> like, fine with that. That means we're not going through this thing and we can be happy about it. No problem whatsoever. But let's say you're wrong and we do go through the tribulation and we've only gone through life saying we're going to get out of here before things get rough. And suddenly you're in the midst of going through something very, very difficult and you're not prepared for it. Pastorally, we recognize that we're going to give an account for that before God. And the scriptures speak of Christians suffering and suffering faithfully and suffering well. So we're going to talk about that kind of stuff. That's why we would hold to this position. Open-handed, but recognizing that we want to do the best we can in God's eyes to prepare us for something, even if maybe we're not sure we're going to face in this lifetime. Well, Jeremy, why would you do that? Why would that matter? How many of you guys put a seatbelt on when you drove over here today? Probably most of you. Some of you walked, I respect that too. And maybe you walked on a sidewalk, so down the middle of the street, I don't know. But you put a seatbelt on because you're preparing for something that you're not planning to happen, but you want to be prepared in the event that it does happen. Many of you have probably gone on a vacation somewhere and gotten on a plane and you sat down in your seat and you are excited to get from point A, maybe in Chicago, maybe you're going to Miami or something, I don't know. So you're going somewhere real nice and warm in the middle of winter and you're looking forward to it. You sit down in your seat and what do the, what do the flight attendants do right away? In the event of an emergency, if we lose air pressure in our cabin, there's going to be some masks that drop down in front of you. Put that on. You're going to need it to survive. And we're not planning on going down in the ocean, but let's just say we do. Your seat will become a flotation device for you. They're not planning on that stuff happening, but they're preparing you for the event that it does. As a church, that's kind of what we want to do. We want to say we're not sure. We don't know with great certainty. But we want to, with the best of our ability, prepare God's people for whatever God may have in store. And so we look at and we trust that Christ is going to bring about his reign. He's going to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords one day. He's going to come back and he is going to bring us to a place to be with him. And maybe we will, or maybe we won't go through something very difficult, but we want to be prepared in the event that we do. And that's where we're coming from. That's what we want to do. And that's why we're going to respect the different positions of different people. All right, and third just as a final thing to close out with very quickly, is we want to recognize God's intentions in this. We want to recognize God's intentions in this. God didn't, in all of his wisdom, we believe that God did not look down and say, hey, we want to give these people just a little bit so they're really confused and they can just sit around and fight with each other about this stuff forever. That'll be so funny. Let's do it and watch what happens. That's not what we think God did. Nor do we think that God said, hey, let's, let's just give them all this stuff so they can sit around worried about what's going to take place in the future because there's some scary things that may be becoming. We believe that God's intentions in speaking to these issues are one, to shape our perspectives. Each and every one of us, no matter how deeply you want to engage with this, or not, understanding these things, God's intention behind us is to shape our perspectives. Number one, that we would have confidence that God's in control. We would have confidence when he's in control, that he's not dead, God's not defeated, he's not off of his throne, but that our God, as the book of Ephesians tells us, is seated far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. That's our Lord and our Savior. He's not just out there in some dualistic battle between good and evil to say, let's really hope that good triumphs on top. 
We serve the God who reigns. And as we have been studying in the book of Daniel, he reigns not only over the kingdom of God, but he rules over the kingdom of man, and he is sovereign over all of it. And so when we study these things, when we deal with difficult passages, we do so that we can say, God's in control. And that ought to give you and I a great deal of confidence in addressing what we face tomorrow. That also will bring us a great deal of composure when we face chaotic times. That we would have composure in chaos. That's why, as I mentioned earlier, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4.18 that we are to take this conversation and encourage each other with it. He's talking to a group of believers who are in the midst of very challenging days. They're going through it. They've lost loved ones. They're mourning and grieving. He's saying, this conversation is an encouraging one. This is one that should help bring some composure when we start going through it in life. The third perspective that this should shape is that we would understand that all of this is going to one day come to a close. This life, this world, this is not eternal as we know it. God has a plan and purpose for what's coming ahead. And so we look at that from the the temporal uh, perspective that what we see around us, the things that we have, are not going to go with us into eternity. My, one of my basketball coaches growing up, he's now with the Lord, used to always say, it's all going to burn. Your nice car, your great house, all your fun gadgets, all, it's all going to burn because it's not going with you to eternity. So keep that kind of in perspective in this very temporal sense. That's where Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Numbering the temporal nature of things gives us a wisdom that we wouldn't have elsewise. Eternal perspective puts eternity on our hearts. And it reminds us, as Paul says in Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is in the United States of America and we should be proud of that till the day we die. Sure, you can be. But he says, more than that, our citizenship is in heaven. That's our home. That's where we belong. And so we're to set our minds on things above, not on things of earth. Because that's the perspective that God wants us to have. So studying this, God does so that it will shape our perspectives. And number two, that stuff will very naturally shape our practices. It should shape our practices. Number one, that we would be watchful. Jesus calls us to be ready. He calls us to be watchful because we just don't know the day or hour. So be ready always alert, always looking, always living to honor him, that our practices then would be those in which we would look carefully at how we live because the days that we live in are evil. And we would examine those things in our hearts and we would look closely, not just at the lives of other people because it's easier to do that than it is to look at ourselves, but that we would walk with faithfulness and righteousness before our God because that's what he's called us to do. Don't let him come back and find you slacking off. So be watchful, be ready. But second, in our witness. One of the things in theology class we talked about this morning is recognizing that what this discussion means that while there is great joy and anticipation for those who know Christ, the flip side of that coin is there will be judgment for those who don't. And if we believe in the heart of our hearts that this is true, that Jesus is going to come back And when he does, he's going to bring about the the salvation that we've longed for. And he's going to bring about the judgment of those who denied him 
won't that spur us on to witness to the hope that we have in him? Doesn't that make it just seem a little bit more important to talk to people about Jesus, to share the gospel with people, that we are sinners alienated from a just and holy God, deserving of his eternal wrath, but that God in his great love for us sent his son and he took on flesh and he dwelt among us and he lived a perfect life and he died a sinner's death on the cross that he was buried in the tomb, that he was raised on the third day so that those who place their faith in him can have eternal life, can have the forgiveness of their sins, redemption, and that we may know God. Isn't that important enough of a conversation to, to open our mouth and to share with someone so they would have the same hope that we do? We need to recognize God's intentions with this. And not get ourselves carried away, but to deal with this the way that God's called us to. With a level of composure, we look at this and we look at what God's saying in the big picture. He's got it. He's in control. If he wanted us to know every little detail, he would have given us every little detail. So we trust him. But it should impact the way we live our lives today. So as we move into the second half of Daniel, we don't need to look at it and say lions and tigers and bears, oh my, we understand that there's going to be some complex things, some difficult conversations, but we understand that we, have, we are serving a God who is sovereign over each and every aspect. That should bring you and I great joy in the path of that.